Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is August 20th, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, uh, or you can contact me via email, Jason at overthecap.com. As always, I am joined by Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, anything this week? Nope. Once again, Nelly has nothing. I'm sure she'll make some noise drinking something, eating something, but Nelly did already have her treat, so uh, she's good to go, I would think. <laughs> Uh, we've got our beer of the week this week is the Founder Centennial IPA. We had a uh, couple Sam Adams before starting this. Um, Sam Adams Wicked Hazy IPA, I think is what they had when uh, we went out to eat. Uh, so we're going to finish this off with a uh, couple Centennials during the podcast tonight. This is a uh, pretty good beer. It's one of the, um, probably one of the beers, at least East Coast style, that uh, or East Coast availability, that people have had for quite some time if you you know got into the craft beer thing years and years and years ago doing the uh ipas you know it's pretty well balanced beer i would say it's not crazy hoppy like uh some of the stuff that you can find but it's pretty good and if you are someone who's just kind of getting into the ipa thing i mean this is a good beer to uh to try to start out with um but I, I always like the stuff from Founders. Uh, they, they have a pretty good selection of a bunch of different things. Uh, I think they're a pretty good brewery and a ton of stuff available by us. So that is the beer of tonight. Uh, also, I will give a shout-out to my mom uh, that was requested from my father this week. Uh, I think usually they probably make it through about the intro of this. Uh, they may leave it on for longer, but I would say they typically fall asleep. Uh, I would That would be my guess. Uh, so anyway, uh, just so just so you hear it, Dad, you can uh, tell Mom that I said hello. Uh, not too much else really going on with me this week. Uh, it is my birthday today, so we uh, did go out for a early birthday dinner, had a steak. That was good, so we'll polish it off with this, and uh, we'll get the, I guess, the podcast out of the way on a Saturday night for a change. Don't know if I'll make it to the gym tomorrow. Got my heavy lifting in today, so if I go tomorrow, it'll be a pretty light day of, uh, I guess, trying to do a little bit of uh, workout or training or whatever you want to call it. Only other stuff was I kind of started looking through some of these uh, NFT trading cards. I was looking through some of that stuff. I I was just kind of curious about it. Sure, some of you younger people who are uh, listening are probably much more into that stuff than I am. Uh, They were kind of interesting looking. I I will say that, Um, you know, just from the aspect of the design of these things it was like a cool little video uh, i guess that you would kind of own a piece of i don't know really what the value is in that uh, i know you can kind of compare it as a, a new age version of a baseball card uh what i was looking at kind of reminded me a little bit of when i was really young that there was a baseball card company or brand i think it was called sports flicks and i never i, I would only see it in the summer we used to go away in the summer to uh southern new jersey into cape may and i would only see them in stores there i wouldn't see them up this way with the uh at the time i guess what were the main things were top donruss and fleer mainly tops was what dominated everything but i could find them there and they, they were pretty cool it was they were expensive for what you were getting you would get a small pack of cards but they were kind of like uh prisms or holograms you would move them and they'd move around so seeing that the nft stuff you know, kind of reminded me of that, where you, you would see these really cool designs. Some of the stuff were uh, silver statues, gold statues, um, uh, 
3D images with music or with um, a call in the background or whatever it might be was kind of cool. I just don't... I, I still have my uh, hard time wrapping my head around either the collectability factor or the, the possible worth factor. And I know there's people who do pay a lot for these things, I guess, down the line. But it, it was just kind of hard to wrap around. Like, I, I get the concept that what used to be the old baseball card, football card, basketball card, uh, I don't know, wrestling card, comic book kind of stuff that's in your hand, now most people look at on an iPad. But if I can screen capture whatever they're they're showing you, whatever I can buy, if I can throw that on, screen capture it, I, I don't know what the what the value is in actually having it. Um, but it, it was kind of interesting to actually look through these. I hadn't really looked at them much before. So this, this was my first time really looking at these kind of things as a collectible. And it was kind of cool. Uh, the negative on them is that, you know, if you're looking at them, they're kind of pricey. It, it's not the same. I know this has nothing to do with salary cap stuff. Um, they're kind of pricey. You know, one of the cool things growing up was when you would buy the baseball card packs and, you know, if your parents could get them for you or how, however you would get them if you saved up a couple of bucks, they're relatively cheap and you would open them up and you'd be like, oh man, who am I going to get? And a lot of times, most people probably bought Topps cards and you would get like the worst of the worst of the worst. Uh, you know, growing up in the late 80s, it was probably a bunch of um, players on Detroit uh, what we used to joke about was like Chet Lemon, I think was someone who was a pretty common card in the top stuff. Uh, if you got football cards, football cards weren't as popular, but if you got football cards, you know, they, they'd be like players who, you know, may, maybe knew a little bit, but not too much on like certain teams uh, would be the guys who, who would be in there. Um, you know, and then as time went on and people got more into like the, the rare cards and the the, the different things like that. Then it got more into like buying a minor league card. These things were like photographs. You go to shows and it, it's like some of the fun, I, I used to find at least the fun would be, do you get a card that could potentially be valuable by buying a pack versus actually going and buying the card itself? And this kind of seems more like, well, you're paying up for a card you, you know, I guess in most of the cases, you know what the quote-unquote print run is of it, the digital print run. And I guess that gives you an idea as to how rare or how common the card would be. It, it's just weird because you, you can, you know, click on it to see it and you could see it. You blow it up in your screen. I'm sure you could just screen capture the whole thing and be like, well, I got it there. You know, or if somebody shares it online, I'm... Sure, you don't have quote unquote ownership of it, um, you know, but you share it, which is very different than the the old baseball card where you would get it. But it, it was the first time I really looked at it, and it was just kind of intriguing that I, I thought the the people who create them, a lot of work goes into it. Uh, I, I think to to make them the, the same way, I guess if if somebody was to put together a YouTube video, um, you know, and took the time to do it. You know, it would be kind of creative and pretty cool. So I would say that with it, but it was just kind of an oddball thing. But anyway, it was just something I was looking at as a, uh, something I was considering for myself, and I'm still not too sure on it. Um, 
you know, because I, the, I didn't really collect them for the, the purpose of buying, uh, selling the stuff, and this wouldn't be any different. It was just kind of looking at doing something, and then I think it's more about um, maybe learning the stuff that, you know, Jacob would be interested in, my, my son Jacob, uh, that he might be interested in, you know, doing... Maybe seven now. Uh, you know that that's getting close to the age where you, you start kind of getting into that stuff. You know, is this what when he's ten years old? Is this what all these kids are going to be into? Is buying, you know, digital versions of baseball cards or something like, uh, or football or whatever sport? Um, you know, I don't know. But uh, it was the first time I, I kind of looked into that. So anyway, we'll get off that and we'll go on to the football stuff for the week. So. Uh, big story from the week, and I, I think this is the main thing to hit on, is the Deshaun Watson saga is, I guess, finally over. 11-game um, suspension. He will come back to play Houston. Uh, he, he will get to play out the rest of his contract for the year. And I, I, I don't know what the purpose was of the NFL doing this. Um the NFL, in my mind, looks weak. They look terrible. Uh, it, it was just, it, it was pointless. If your settlement on this, after the initial verdict, was going to be 11 games, probably find a way to try to feature him in a primetime or a nationally, you know, the national game of the week, which is disgusting, um, you know, to, to use that for marketing purposes, if that's what it ends up being. It's just a pathetic job. You know, you put out a statement, um, you know, to basically say he made a big step forward because finally, I don't know how, but finally someone got to him and said, look, we're going to write for you a statement um, that you're going to say where you're going to basically say, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry for the pain I caused. Like after all this time of just saying, I didn't do anything wrong. That there was nothing that I did that was bad. Um, you're going to at least take a little bit of culpability for your actions, and you've got Roger Goodell typing that in a statement before that is even circulated to everybody. You've got the Browns going out there. And the Browns giving a ridiculous statement where Deshaun Watson, um, you know, talks about how, uh, you know, how, how sad he is about his part in this. Within minutes of both of those statements being out, Deshaun Watson is out there again professing his innocence. I triggered a lot of people. I, I, I didn't really do anything wrong. I, I still don't know why we're here. I'm just glad it's behind me. Where in the world is that contrition? How in the world, and th this is just going to go back to months ago where I said there's only a couple of teams that can handle this kind of situation. And I said this is not one of them. I didn't think this was one of them. And let's be honest, it ain't one of them. The Browns have basically stepped in it time and time and time and time again. And they did the same thing here with him by not coaching him up writing a statement that they clearly didn't give him. All right, now, the, the, the players don't write these statements. When you see these giant statements, probably 90% of them are not written by the player. There might be 10% of them that are. 90% of them are not. Clearly, Deshaun Watson didn't write any of that stuff because 
as that one is getting released on Twitter, through social media, through the Browns website and whatever else, he's out there saying, I didn't do a thing. I, I triggered some women and that sucks. And, you know, you, you've got your agent going out there now trying to say, well, no, he's sorry for the situation. He's not sorry for what he did. He's sorry that what he did caused a situation. It's like, come on. Just be quiet. Just quit while you're ahead. You know, just give up on it. And the NFL, you know, th- th- this was a, a, a complete cave-in by the NFL. Um, Deshaun Watson, in the last two years, uh, he would have earned $56.54 million. He's going to get fined $5 million, and he's going to lose $632,500 of his salary this year. He's going to lose $5.6 million. He didn't play any games last year. He's suspended for 11 games this year. He's only going to lose 5.6, about 10% of that. So for everything that he did, you know, if you were somebody that made $50,000 a year, just to, just to put this into context, if you were somebody who made, you know, 50 grand a year, it would be the equivalent of paying, you know, 5,000 bucks as a get out of jail free card. That's not too bad. Um, you know, all things considered. Now, he's got civil lawsuits and everything else that are that are going on that he's settled. Um, I'm sure for a bunch of money. But from the NFL's perspective, I mean, that that's pathetic. So you find him about 10% of his salary. He's got millions and millions and millions more he's going to make over the next couple years that are all guaranteed. He doesn't lose a year towards free agency. So four years from now, he can say, I need a new contract. I need to get paid more money. He gets to come back if the Browns are good enough for a playoff run. And he gets to go and play against the Texans in his first game back, which obviously he would probably want to do. And to me, this is just, it's just a bad message from the NFL. You know, you, you are going in looking for an indefinite suspension and trying to, to paint this guy as like the, the worst defender of all time. And I know they only came with a couple of cases, and obviously there's a lot more that are out there, but the NFL didn't find those, I guess, credible. And I'm sure this is going to have to do if if you do any kind of, I guess investigation on it. The Times would be the place to do it. It'd be Jenny Vrentes would be the the one to do it. I'm gonna guess that the majority of other women involved probably had two encounters with Watson where they probably went back after he did whatever he did the first time. That that's just gonna be my guess as to why they weren't brought forth by the NFL. I mean there, there might be a couple who didn't speak that didn't want to get involved. Um but I I, I would guess that's what it is. But, uh, you know, you, you go through all that and you just come back and you're like, yeah, we'll give him 11 games. We'll, we'll give him one game less than we gave for uh, Vontez Perfect for, you know, whatever he was doing on the field with all his uh, penalties that he was getting that, you know, could have obviously hurt players on the field. You know, but uh, in terms of off field, well, you know, whatever. It, it is what it is. He'll be back this year. Um 
you know, if the NFL had done this punishment in the initial stages, I, I still don't think it would have looked good. But at least it, you, you could have made the case, well, you know, he was going to be innocent and whatever. You were in the role of being judge, jury, and executioner. Well, maybe not judge. You were you were in the, the position of being jury and executioner in this case. And you didn't want to do it. And you appointed someone to go over this. And they didn't really want to make a decision. They just wanted to give you more time to settle. You know what? If you're the NFL, just sit on the fact that the, the initial judge, Judge Robinson... Uh, through the, the, the process that was in place, gave six games, and you just pin it all on her. That's what you do. Because coming out of this and being like, well, we gave him 11 and a $5 million fine, and that, that's worse you know, than he would have had in the first place. You know what? You are better off, just from even a PR perspective, of just going out there and saying, you know what? The legal system sucks, because most people believe that anyway. You know, with a lot of different things. Just be like, the legal system sucks. We didn't do a good job in crafting our rules. They held it against us. And we'll fix it in the future. And this is what happened. Instead, you you make yourself a party to this by just saying, eh, 11 games is good. And you know what? He's showing a lot of contrition. And at the same time you're saying that statement, and you're finalizing this deal and you're submitting it to, you know, your management council and you can play through the preseason and hang out in training camp and do whatever. And, you know, he's away from the team for uh, 11 weeks suspension. He's probably away from the team for six weeks. I, I think 50% of the time you're out. You know what it is. Then you come back. He comes back and practices with the team that second part of the year. You know, and then, then you bring him back and... You know those networks are chomping at the bit to put him on against Houston in a game that's featured. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, do you realize how bad that looks? At least with the other stuff, you pin it on somebody else. This is all on you. And it's absolutely pathetic. And also pathetic is they give the Browns a minor fine. So the Browns are out there crafting statements about the guy is so sorry, but, you know, we would always do the deal because we, we always had plans in place. It's like, yeah, that that that's great. The guy that I want to give a $100 million a year raise to, or a $100 million raise to for one year, you know, I that that's what I always needed was plans in place because I, I figured he'd be suspended for a good portion of the year. I just need a plan in place. That's great. And, you know, while you're talking about the forgiveness, the, the great first steps, he's out there proclaiming his innocence and talking about triggering people. Like, how how do you, you listen to that and be like, oh, yeah, we made the right choice? You, know, you have to be listening to that and be like, how in the world did we not give him a statement to say? Just be like, I didn't understand my actions. You know, I... I look forward to getting the treatment that the NFL is going to provide to me so I can maybe understand more about my actions. Yeah, the Brown, well, we got plans for massages for him. Come on, just be quiet. 
Don't even put anything out there. So I, I think this is a terrible job by the NFL. Um, look, the the NFL is, is kind of Teflon. Um, but, you know, in terms of having to deal with, you know, activist groups, in terms of just having to deal with, in general, just, just people who are, you know, just decent, normal, common people, you, you you just can't look at this and say this is good. Like, how do you sign off on it? I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it at all. And I don't get it how Houston gets no penalty in this. They give a million dollar fine to Cleveland because I'm sure Cleveland was like, look, just give us a fine and we'll 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 we just want to move on. Like, how do you not give Houston a fine? Houston is the one that enabled this. I don't care if those people are with the team or not with the team anymore. It's pretty clear Houston enabled it. They knew it was going on. They supplied him with NDAs. I don't believe, now maybe I'm incorrect on this, but given that the NFL didn't seem to be alerted to these issues until there was a lawsuit, that tells me the Texans didn't alert the NFL, nor did Deshaun Watson. Both are supposed to alert the NFL in the in the case or in the event that there might be a case that's out there so they didn't do that how did they come out of this with nothing no fine no reprimand no anything i i get that they settled whatever cases were there but who arranged a hotel the houston texans who arranged the ndas the houston texans who knew Deshaun Watson was doing this? The Houston Texans. The Houston Texans only fell out of favor with Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson fell out of favor with them. He, he was just didn't want to deal with them anymore. I don't want to be in Houston. So I, I don't get how they don't get anything out of this. You know, you're punishing the Browns for doing the contract. I get that. But how does Houston not get a punishment here? It's just a terrible job by the NFL. And once again, goes to the point, the NFL, and this goes to Judge Robinson's original decision, there is no foresight from the NFL at all. And it's the problem with everything they do it's like in every other industry, any industry that makes any kind of money at all, there is somebody out there who thinks of every potential negative situation and brings it up. And they might come up with a disclaimer for it. They might come up with a way that you've got to get insurance for it. But whatever it is, you have everything covered. Look at those crazy commercials you see for any kind of drug on television. Those commercials are 30 seconds of promoting this miracle drug and then another minute of disclaimers of all the possible potential awful side effects that could happen if you take it. It doesn't matter if it's one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent of a chance that you can get it. They're going to include it in there. 
Because they're just looking to cover any and every possibility. You know, look at some of the stuff that you sign up for. Look at look at the, the, the little fine print of all the things that you cannot sue for. Almost anything and everything under the sun is included. You know, I, I there there are probably situations where you could have some kind of insurance on something. You know, and they, they will have a disclaimer in there that says, you know, if you get bit by this by a coyote, oh, they don't cover that. That's an act of God. <laughs> you know, it's like they they will cover anything. The NFL does nothing like that. The NFL just makes rules up as they go along. All they had to do in that stupid original policy was disqualify any and every old decisions that were made, just like they've done in the CBA for other stuff. Whether it's a, a Terrell Owens decision, an Ashley Lee decision, whatever they are, you know, just disqualify it. Overruled. You know, we, we've bargained that decision out. That decision doesn't cut the mustard anymore. And don't put in distinctions about violent crime, non-violent crime. Just, just put it, just sexual assault, sexual assault. Guilty, guilty. Don't be like, well, it's got to be uh, somehow qualifying a definition of violent. Multiple, you know, multiple offense, single offense. Bring them up as single offenses. Like, I... You know, the NFL is just annoying with that stuff. It's like, how can you make this kind of money? You are printing money, hand over fist. How do you do that? And then not have some of these things just laid out. I, I, and, and it's with all this stuff. You know, you, you go back to the 2011 CBA. I'm just going to bring up an example of something that's not even related to this stuff. It's just related to the rookie money. So they had this stuff out on the rookie pool. You know, rookie pool is this much money. It's this. This is the formula. This is what we do. Now, I backed into the, They didn't put the formula in there. I backed in the formula. But, you know, this is what we do. This is how it's going to be. And it's going to rise every year by the salary cap. Okay. It's great. So I look at this stuff. What happens between 2011 and 2012? Now, OTC is not even out yet, but I'm doing the stuff in the Jets thing. And I'm... Uh, you know, we, we've got a little bit of a footing on this stuff and we're talking about it. And what's the first thing that we we realize when those numbers come out? Well, you know what? If you look at the rise in the minimum salaries from 2011 to 2012, if the salary cap doesn't rise by more than X percent, the rookies are going to make less money than they did the year before. How does that make any sense? How does that make sense? Cap goes up, salaries go down. Bonuses go down. How does that make sense? They didn't think about it. So what happened was they had to come up with a side agreement with the PA, which is the system that's in there now where they talk about this banking system. Where, you know, they at least put a freeze on there to where the salaries will always rise by at least the minimum. Now, 
I'm no genius. It took me about five seconds of reading through the rules and looking at the minimum salaries that are in, I think, Article 26, what's in there, to say, yeah, you know, the math ain't going to work out here. You went through all these months of negotiating this crap. You screwed up the math? Basic math. It's like high school. This is like algebra. You screwed it up? That's the NFL for you. So, you know, and this is obviously a lot more serious, I guess, than that. You know, they just don't care. They, 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 just, they just don't think about anything. I don't get it. You know, they, they, they have these high-priced attorneys, high-priced lawyers, high-priced everybody. And you don't think of this stuff. And for the owners that have all these, you know, businesses outside of the NFL that made them a ton of money that allowed them to get into the NFL, you know, with the exception of the, the couple of teams that, uh, you know, have these ownership groups who have been around for ages. They should know better. Because their other lines of business cover anything and everything. You know, and all their different agreements that they do. But somehow when it comes to this one, they just screw it up. Just awful. Just just awful. Just awful job by the NFL. And this, to me, it's terrible. You know, now nobody's going to remember it when he comes back and he's back for a week or two. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to remember. Um, you know, it'll be a handful of people who are still out there, um, probably in the Cleveland area. That'll be in there kind of, um, you know, protesting about it. But, you know, the, the, the NFL is going to have to eat it for a couple weeks here, and they should. They deserve it. And they need to they need to get people in there that just have the ability to think about things in the future. And... You know, just come up with some ways to to handle some of this stuff. So if you want to dunk on the NFL, they deserve to be dunked on this week for the, the way they've handled all this stuff. All right, so let's, uh, let's move on from that. Um, I'll talk about Derwin James in a second. I, I think the next thing I want to talk about just real quick is Roquan Smith again. Uh... So I guess Smith today came out with a statement that he's going to bet on himself. I don't even know why you use the phrase bet on yourself. Um, You know, in this case, it's not like he's got another option. Uh, That he's going to go out there and he's going to play the season. So he's back practicing and contract talks are done and he'll deal with the contract in the offseason when he gets into free agency. Quite frankly, his best chance of earning big money is to put himself in a position where he plays like Shaq Leonard, um, you know, and puts himself in a position to where the head coach basically thinks he's indispensable as a part of the defense. And that's where he's going to make the most money because outside of C.J. Mosley, who got that ridiculous contract from the Jets because... Jets are just lost when it comes to free agency half the time. Um, other than that, you know, linebackers typically don't do great in free agency. You see a couple, but if his goal is 20, it would be pretty hard to get 20, I think, in free agency. 
But the reason I wanted to talk about it was just some of the stuff that's out there that is just completely wrong about the ins and the outs of how this stuff works. So I was listening to uh, the Pat McAfee show, and he's, look, his show is terrific. His show's a lot of fun. Um, I love the way he does it. Every now and then I'll throw wrestling on where he does wrestling commentary. I think he's terrific at it. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun, but at the same time, yeah, there are times when I, I'm not sure how informed he is about certain aspects of the NFL. And I know he's got Andrew Brand on there, uh, but that's probably about bigger topic issues um, than this. And this week, you know, he's bringing up about what options does Roquan have because as a player, he's not allowed to talk to other teams. You know, this is in light that somebody who said they represented Roquan Smith, which is probably true, was reaching out to other teams and basically saying, what would you pay my guy? You know, what what would you give him? And the NFL had to make a statement about, you know, contacting um, players. I I don't know if the statement mentioned him in particular. It might have. I think it I think it did. I I didn't I didn't pay that kind of attention to it. but, you know, basically, you can't talk about players who are under contract to, you know, other people. That has nothing to do with him representing himself. If I am representing Roquan Smith, if I am an, if I am an L, uh, NFLPA certified advisor, I cannot go for Smith and go and randomly start talking to the Miami Dolphins or the San Francisco 49ers and say, What would you give my guy? I need written permission from the Bears to basically go out and try and negotiate a trade with other teams. Negotiate with other teams. Now, it is true that if you do have an agent, that there is probably a minor amount of tampering that goes on. Like if I am represented by... I'll just throw Drew uh, Rosenhaus out there just because he's got a giant client list. If I'm represented by him, uh, you know, he represents probably 10 people on this team, whatever team you want to say, Uh, say San Francisco. And maybe he can have a discussion about some of his other players. You know, he'd be there for another thing. And someone might throw something in there like, "Uh, you know, what's Smith looking for? Comes back with 22. And, you know, the guy might be like, it sounds reasonable. Just to be like, well, you know, you're just throwing it out there. Like, okay, so we know that that's out there. And by the same token, you might do that same thing, same situation. Well, what's he looking for? 22, and they might say, yeah, good luck with that. Um, you know, maybe that's the case. But in general, the the, the tampering with trading for a player, that ain't going to happen, all right? The tampering, the the concept of the player being a little screwed over by not having an agent, really the, the impact of that is on the period that exists between February and the quote-unquote legal tampering, uh, how I hate that phrase, period, That's where it really impacts the players. Only because when you go out to the combine, you go out there and it's like, so who who are you representing this year? 
You know, what, what, what players? I, I want to talk to you about this uh, undrafted guy you've got. And then while you're having a drink, you might talk about one or two actual free agents that he's got. And bring up, you know, again, what's he looking for? You know, well, he's looking for X. Well, you know, that's pretty interesting. We're looking for that same position. We, we've kind of got X. You know, we, we, we might be able to do a deal like that. You know, maybe. You know, that, that kind of discussion goes on. And then, obviously, you get a bunch of deals that are finalized through that uh, legal tampering period. You know, those three days before free agency. So, basically, you're, you're talking about the period that runs from, like, February, say, 25th to, like, March 15th. The player representing himself going into free agency is probably at a disadvantage during that period of time. But when you're talking about doing extensions, when you're talking about it's all level playing field, there's nothing that the NFL has to do to change rules to somehow magically make it easier for Roquan Smith to talk to another team. Like, come on, if the Bears say, we're not trading you, you don't have the ability to go and engineer a trade because you've got an agent. Like, don't believe that and don't put that out there got a giant following you can't go out there and say that stuff that's not the way that it works and even if those teams wanted the player if they don't think the bears are interested in that kind of thing they're not going to even entertain the discussion because they're going to get worried about the bears bringing up about tampering and given how bad the bears look on paper you know, you're a rebuilding team, you would love to bring up another team for tampering and hope that maybe in the decision process they lose your pick and you get it in return because of the tampering charge. So you would never, ever, ever, ever get into any kind of real discussion with an agent about making a trade that could somehow embolden his case for not participating in practice. So I have no idea how a former player who's got a very big platform can go out there and and kind of have segments like that where it's just completely wrong. It's just 100% wrong about the way that this stuff works. So, you know, are there, again, are there benefits that he would have had to having an agent versus not having an agent right now? Yeah, there probably are. But if the Bears wanted to to come close to his numbers the way that uh, the Seahawks did with Bobby Wagner a couple of years ago, to give a nice little uh, plug to crunching numbers, um, he, he would have been no better, no worse with an agent. So... You know, it's just a it's a it's a bad thing, and obviously we we don't have any any kind of reach like that. Um, you know, but if you're very interested in, the, in this side of the NFL, and most people who listen to this are, you know, just know that that line of thinking is not correct. You know, if you are looking to be an agent one day, you can't magically go out there and just randomly start talking to teams and then go back to Chicago and be like, hey, I got this team on the line. that They, they want to pay me 20 Well, fuck them. You know, screw them. 
You know, they, they, they can't do that. So I just wanted to bring that one up. Uh, Derwin James. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to that one. Derwin James, just a absolutely awesome contract extension for him. Um, $19 million a year. New money. Four-year deal. Same as anything else. Absolutely blows away the safety market. I said this on, on Twitter, and I still haven't given it enough thought. I really want to do a post on this contract once I saw the numbers come out from PFT and just didn't have the time. You know, I, I wish, you know, I, I always say I never have time for stuff. When I started OTC, which I guess was like eight years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was, and I thought I didn't have time then. I had a lot of time back then compared to what I have now. And, you know, I really wanted to give it some thought and put a post out there on it because, man, this is one of the most player-friendly contracts, I think, of the NFL right now. Um, just a fantastic job of getting a deal done and utilizing the fact that you know the Chargers are in this window and the Chargers are going to spare no expense to try to get into the playoffs and, you know, obviously hopefully get to the Super Bowl while Herbert's under this rookie contract. And you could tell it just from seeing them, you know, deal with Mike Williams where Mike Williams is getting $20 million a year. Now, I mean, come on now. Um... You know, for as crazy as the uh, wide receiver market went, remember, that craziness started in part with the Chargers. Now, he's scheduled to be UFA. He signs, I'm just pulling it up here, March 8th, it looks like. Um, 20 million bucks a year. 40 million guaranteed up front. Uh, and away you go. Um you know, you take advantage of that and you use that when you, you do this contract. This is absolute blow-away money for Derwin James. Now, this is not to say that Derwin James is not a great player. When Derwin James is on the field, he's a really freaking good player. All right? But, number one, he plays safety. And I do not want to get into the whole jack-of-all-trades argument. That is the, the nonsense that we talk about with Jamal Adams, and everybody knows what a joke of a deal that is. Um, Derwin James is a better player than Jamal Adams. His jack-of-all-trades ability is better than the jack-of-all-trades ability of Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is closer to a Landon Collins um, you know, type of player. But when we look at someone you know, like a Derwin James, what do we see? Well, we see a player who's hurt a lot. You know, he's basically, he's been in the league for uh, four years, right? Yeah, four years. He's basically been hurt for two of them. And we, we've seen some other injuries that are in there as well. And if you look at the franchise tag, um, I have the numbers. I, I don't have them in front of me. I'm going to guess $14 million on a fr franchise tag. Excuse me. Uh, you know, and if you did that for two years in a row, 
you know, you'd be looking at a two-year payout of, you know, ballpark $31, $32 million. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's going to make forty-one seven five. Let me see. I have it up here during James. Yep, he'll make forty-one point seven five. Of that forty-one point seven five million, uh, he has uh, forty-two. That's it's a virtual guarantee. It's not all guaranteed at signing. Uh, and he was scheduled to earn, I think, nine this year. Let me just look up his old money. Let's just pull it up because they, they did factor the 17th game into it. Yeah, he was scheduled to earn 9.6. So let's take 42 minus the 9.6. So he basically guaranteed himself about 32.4. Two tags would have cost 30.8. If he lasts both of those years, he's going to make almost 42 million. That is a fantastic contract absolutely fantastic um you are looking at a player he didn't have to take any per game money in his deal zero none nada this is a player who is going to miss games it would be stunning if he doesn't miss games they didn't protect themselves with anything look they're going to take out insurance on every aspect of this contract he's going to have a uh, Insurance on the side that the Chargers are going to have uh, insurance on the signing bonus. The Chargers are going to have insurance on his paragraph five this year. They'll have insurance on the paragraph five next year. They'll probably have insurance on the paragraph five in the third year of the contract. But you're, you're going to pay a premium on that. Who knows what you do and you don't get back on those things. From a player perspective, it's a great deal. Um, he will blow away some of the other numbers that you see at the position. Um, so from a guaranteed perspective on his total contract, uh, he has 49% of the entire deal. This includes the old money. 49% of that is guaranteed. The Mega Fitzpatrick was 43. Jamal Adams was 47. So that's a big push forward. His full guarantee is about 45% of the total contract value. Minka Fitzpatrick was 43. Uh, Jamal Adams was only 26. So, you know, th those are absolutely great numbers for Derwin James. If you look at the cash flows on the deal, let me uh, pull those up here against those guys. Jamal Adams, I'll run them in our player comparison, and Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Patrick, let's see. So this year he will get a $15 million raise. Jamal Adams only got 10.6. Mega Fitzpatrick got 10.9. So you can clearly see where the market was. James blows it away with the 15. Through the first year of the extension, he'll earn 29. That's just compared to 25 for Adams, 25.4 for Fitzpatrick. So again, they are operating on a, a, a totally different scale than Adams and Fitzpatrick were when it came to negotiating those numbers. Through year two, I just mentioned about the 41.75. Jamal Adams was at 36. Fitzpatrick did get close to 40. He's at 39.88. So that that's probably where we got the... Uh, 
I would guess the big numbers up front. So I, I'm just going to guess here. And again, I could be wrong on this. But, you know, when you do some of these deals, it's really important to look at the, the cash flows year over year over year. And I'm going to guess that if you had Fitzpatrick at 39.88, the real target if you're the Chargers really should have been 40. Uh, they were probably aiming, I'm just going to guess here that James's side is probably aiming for 43, 42, 5, 42, um, you know, and they come up with 41, 7, 5. And what's good about that from their perspective is you've got a cash number that you want to work into. And now you can kind of work back from there because the Chargers are going to have some salary cap issues that they need to deal with. And maybe you can use that to your advantage to up your cash flows in your, you know, year one and year zero, you know, your extension year. And I think they probably did that here. Uh, you know, the signing bonus on this deal is 20.5 million, which is more than Adam's. You know, so you, you were already building in on that. Yeah, the option bonus of 12. It, the, the prorated money in this deal and the Adams deal are basically the same. And if that that's what you're working towards, um, you know, you probably got to utilize some of the stuff the Chargers needed to do to your advantage to get there. But again, this is an example of why you need to look at the cash flows and why you need to look at Really, you want to be far ahead in that year two. You you want to be somewhere ahead and then use that to push up your year one, your year zero, if you're talking about an extension, when you do a contract. Uh, year three gets to 58.5, Jamal Adams 52.5, uh, Fitzpatrick 55.4, and you know then you've got the uh, 76 to 73 to 70 through the four years. All the players are in a contract four years. I love this contract for him. I think this is just fantastic. And it to me, I mean, th this just shows you why I don't understand why the Players Association does not or did not in this last negotiation make it a priority to make these rookie contracts shorter. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I, I understand where people say, well... Why didn't they fight the, the power of the commissioner in the suspension process, in the, the discipline process? Well, they didn't really fight it that much because it only impacts a handful of players. Why didn't they fight the franchise tag? Well, technically it only impacts a handful of players. Now, I would argue with that, but I if you look at the numbers that exist on the franchise tag, um, in a sense, yeah, it does only impact a handful of players. The impacts are a little bit more wide-reaching than that, uh, but I, I I can at least get that argument. The length of the rookie contract, that impacts everybody. You, know, you have so many players drafted every single year. Right? You have, what, 256? Plus, now they, now they have the... Uh, the additional um, compensatory picks for the coaching. So, you know, 260 players a year. It impacts 260 players a year. You 
Here you were talking about a player who had a high draft grade, was hurt for half of his draft pick seasons, and he gets a $20 million a year contract, essentially. When you go back and you look at the deals given to like Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Jamal Adams, all these players... Teams do not need four and five years of data to determine if the players are worth the money. The rookie wage scale is designed to protect you from Jamarcus Russell. It's designed to protect you from Sam Bradford. But the reality is, it was really designed to just protect you from the bad front offices. It was designed to protect you from the Raiders. It was designed to protect you... Uh, they weren't a bad front office, but I'm going to throw the Jets in there. Because the, the Jets believed very strongly for a period of time after Parcells in their rookies they drafted. And they wanted to push those salaries. It was designed to protect you from teams that went away from what would be the perceived slot and pushed forward on those rookies. It is ridiculous that you have some of these players under contract for pennies compared to what they would have earned under the old system, and they're stuck for four or five years under those salaries. James has played two years and they determined that he was worth almost $20 million a year. You cannot look at this. If you are the Players Association, how do you look at this? How do you look at these deals? How do you look at the Kyler Murray deal? How do you look at these contracts and say to yourself, eh, you know, we're good with keeping these rookie deals at five years. Get them to three. Get them to two. You know, the NFL careers aren't that long. And there's no downside to it. You've got your minimums negotiated in the CBA. The only negatives to it, the only negatives at all, and yes, it would impact some players, all right? You're a seventh-round pick. Now you're only signing for two years. If you're still in the league, if you're still in the league in year three, you're going to make the same amount of paragraph five salary, you probably get a small bonus along with it. But your initial signing bonus is going to be lower because it's only a two-year deal versus a four-year deal. And for the players who aren't in there in year three, and there's going to be a lot of like six and seven round picks that aren't in there in year three, yeah, it's going to impact them a little bit negatively because they're not going to get the full bonus. But your bonuses at that level you know, of a draft, what are they? $50,000, $70,000, Let me just pull it up here. So, all right, so top of the round seven would have been around 140, 130, 140. Top of round six would have been about 250, excuse me. So, yeah, you'd be losing out. You know, you, you, you would be looking at it 125 or a $60,000 bonus, but your P5s would be the same. So if you're a seventh, let, let's say you're the first pick in the seventh round, and let's say you got a $140,000 bonus under this CBA or 130, probably a little bit lower than that, but let's say 130, 140. 
So now you're only going to get a $70,000 bonus. Your base salary for the year is still $705 and $870 for the first two years. And as long as you make a team in year three, you know, your base salary, your P5, is going to be $985. So all you'd have to do is convince a team to give you a signing bonus that would be at least $70,000 or more if you were a free agent. I believe that would happen. I believe that would happen. So, you know, would some people get affected? You know, those who are only in the league for one, two years or maybe don't even make a team at all? Yeah, they would. They would lose out on half of their bonus money. But the far, the, the, the vast majority of players would work, uh, would, you know, do better. So I, I don't understand how this is not made a priority by the leadership there. I, I just don't get it. Now, Demora Smith is, uh, this is his last term, I believe. So they're going to get someone new in there. And I don't know who that'll be. You know, that could be Andrew Brandt, could be an agent, could be somebody else. I hope they have the, the foresight to look at that and just say, we need to move forward that way because... If you evaluate these second contracts that are signed by players at the top, there is no reason for them to be under contract at, you know, a couple million bucks a year when these teams can't help themselves simply because of where they were drafted in the first place. Now, I I hope that that's something because... You know, the, 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 look, the owners make money. They, they make ridiculous amounts of money. Let, let the players earn their, their keep. And the league would be better because free agency sucks right now. All right? Free agency is a big time for the website. Free agency sucks. Why does free agency suck? Free agency sucks because it's all B-level free agents. And, you know when it's just a handful of B-level free agents who are going to get paid like A-level players or A-level players, doesn't really do much to level the playing field and really doesn't do much to change anything. But if you flood the market with a bunch of 25, 26-year-old B and C-level free agents, even if they're Cs, you are completely changing the dynamic because you are taking the teams that have a Patrick Mahomes and a Josh Allen under a reasonable contract level, and you're saying, you know what? If you want to keep these guys who are role players, it's going to cost you money. And that money might not factor into your budget or it might not let you keep a, another star you know, somewhere down the line in another position. It's going to force you to look for depth elsewhere. And you might be able to take a bad team like the Jets, bad team like the Jaguars, bad team like the Giants, who has just done a, a piss-poor job of drafting. And you can look at this, and you know I'll look back and I'll say, well, Joe Douglas's first draft sucked. It did. You have the ability now to pay $8 million dollars you know, two million a player to basically replenish what you screwed up in the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds 
by going and signing players from a good team, had a good front office, at two million bucks a year. Um, you know, just to to give you quality depth. You know, to fill out your roster, because when you're a bad football team, not only do you not have starters, you probably don't even have depth. You know, you've, you've just got nothing. So at least it gives you that chance. And yeah, you might take those depth players and give them a bigger role. Um, but at least you have the opportunity to get them. You know, coach them up, find a different spot for them. And there's a lot more value to those players when they're 26 than when they're 28. You know, at 28, the lot is pretty much cast. It's kind of crazy. Um, that's the way the NFL works. So I don't know. It, it, we've got to be doing the numbers on this. If, you, if you're representing the players, if you are working for the players, you have to be looking at this stuff and saying, the system needs to change. You know, if I'm looking at a quarterback group, I'm seeing, I'll throw Josh Allen out there, and I'm seeing a guy who sucked as a rookie, really wasn't much better in his second year. Even in his third year, when he obviously developed into an MVP-style player, I'm watching him in the first game against the Jets. I'm watching a guy standing wide open in the back of the end zone and watching Josh Allen sail the football in a blowout win. Or big win. I don't remember if it's a blowout. It was a pretty big win. Uh, sailing the ball to somebody in the stands. Yeah, that guy's worth $43 million. Now, obviously, he, you know, his fortunes changed by the end of that season. But, you know, one season was enough for the, the Bills to say, all right, we're going to commit 43 a year. You know, Patrick Mahomes, two years. Well, yeah, we'll commit 45. Now, if you're not going to be in the league, you're not going to be in the league. You know, if it's going to cost those players, it should cost those players. But overall, you're going to make out so much better as a group if you get free agency to be meaningful. If you get extensions to be meaningful... Don't let them hold these salaries over your head when negotiating an extension. You know, the NFL, this is not the past. This is this is not the era where, you know, 28-year-old, 29-year-old free agents, teams are, you know, bending over backwards to sign those players. You know, it, it's not that type of league anymore. You know, you're pretty much considered done at that age. You know, unless you're an elite level player. You've got to have a system that, that that's developed to allow free agency to occur when these guys are 25. And it would be better for the game. You know, you want you want to have free agency be a way to make teams work. You want to be a way to make the league more competitive. The league is not competitive when, you know, you you have superstar quarterbacks making the same as ordinary quarterbacks and teams somehow have to try to find a way to, to split the difference. 
It's just not the way that it works. You know, and th- this probably gets back to the NFL being reactionary instead of progressive. But a lot of the rules are based on what used to happen, quote unquote, way back when. It was a different era. It, it was a completely different era where you had teams carrying players who were a little bit older. And teams would invest in those players and invest in a way that they were going to be under contract for basically three years. Um, you know, it, it's not that league anymore. And there's got to be a pushback. You know, the, the players really, and I know we have players that listen to this, and they'll, they'll be long gone out of the league by the time we get to the next CBA. But, you know, if you are representing a group of players or if you're a player and you have guys that you can talk to, this is something you have to focus on. And I I know it's not going to impact you if you're a veteran player. Um, But, you know, if if you want to leave the league in a better place, uh, you know, and if you're an agent, quite honestly, if you want to make it, you know, a better living for yourself, you know, focus on this. You know, make this a thing. And... I'm telling you, it'll make the NFL more entertaining. It'll make it more competitive. It will give bad teams a legitimate chance to get better through free agency versus now, which is just give your fan base a hope in March, April, May, June. And then when July and August hit and you start seeing the preseason and certainly by the time September hits, you realize we need a new general manager. We suck. Um... You know that that's just that's just the way that it would work. So anyway, great contract for James, and it should be another win for the the concept of five years is too long for a first round pick. Four years is too long for anyone else. Get those contracts down to two and three years. Got to focus on that. All right, let's uh, let's get into our questions. So we'll start with the mailbag here in the email. It's from Michael. I think this is the only podcast question. Hopefully, I didn't miss anything. Um, review of the Browns' cap situation over the next two years. Would it be better for them to uh, have Watson suspended for the whole season for cap reasons compared to? Um, sorry, my contacts are giving me a little bit of a problem here. Compared to 11 games, can they afford to sign trade for Garoppolo based on their situation? Um, so, you know, that, that, that's an, it's a fair question. Um, um, so I guess the first thing is, do they have the space? I believe they do. I believe they have more than enough. Even if they want to play, uh, pay Garoppolo his full salary, which would be insane. Uh, let me just pull up their cap space, but I think they have over 40. Internet's running a little slow here. Such is life in the uh, recording studios of the basement. Uh, yeah, they have about 49 in cap space. Obviously, that's going to go lower once regular season starts, but more than enough to bring in Garoppolo. I go back to it. I don't know why you would want to bring in Garoppolo. Um, he's got a good supporting cast and a very good coaching staff out in San Francisco. He's always hurt. Um, you may very well 
watch Jimmy Garoppolo play three games and then miss the next eight games, and then Deshaun Watson to be back after that. Uh, my opinion is the Browns had to know that there was a good chance that uh, Deshaun Watson was going to be suspended this year for a pretty long period of time, uh, you know, half the season, something like that. Um, so I think they probably have faith in Jacoby Brissett, you know, kind of leading the team. Um, you know, until Watson comes back, Brissett is a... He's not a good quarterback. I mean, he's a complete journeyman type player. But I think when you look at the talent that the Browns have on defense and you look at the investments they've had, and I know their offensive line is beat up right now. If you look at their investments on the line and at running back and what they believe in their two backs and Chubb and Hunt, um, my feeling is that they, they probably look at this and say they can get by with Brissett. Even if uh, through 11 games that means being 5-6, and six, uh, even 4-7, and seven, I think having that third wild card position gives you a lot more opportunities. And they have a lot of games in division that will happen still with Watson coming back. Now, Watson hasn't played competitive football in a long time, so... I don't think it's it's a given that we're going to see the Deshaun Watson that carried the Houston Texans into the playoffs. And this is not to be negative on Watson as a football player. I think Bill O'Brien's negatives as a general manager and his... Um, I guess just lack of personality when it comes to dealing with media and stuff like that. I think it discounts a lot of actually what he did as a coach. I think Bill O'Brien as a coach is probably pretty freaking good. I think he was able to get a lot out of players. Just didn't necessarily have a, a good way of building a team and maybe building relationships with players to make those... Um, to make those players feel happy for a long term, uh, I, I guess maybe would be the way to put that. So, you know, I, I think we discount that a little bit. So I, I don't know if Watson's going to come in and immediately be a savior the way people are going to think that he is. Um, but I, I think the Browns are going to be happy just playing with Brissett and relying on what they've built in their running game and what they've built on defense in a way to kind of stay close in the division and probably more so than that, stay close in the wild card race. Um, I think that's where they're at. And to be honest, I think they're probably in a position where they look at this as, okay, this is house money. We lost our starting, our starting quarterback for 11 and we're going to hang our hats on that. Even if we screw up and, you know, if we're talking about bringing in full salary stuff, where are you better off as the Cleveland Browns? Are you better off carrying over $42 million, give or take a little bit, to next year, which would put you um, about $10 million under the cap? 
assuming the cap reaches kind of where we we believe it'll be um you know 10 million under the cap and then you can maneuver some salaries to create more cap room make yourself a better team or would you be better off bringing in Garoppolo Garoppolo maybe only having him healthy for three four five games you know let's even say he's healthy for 11 games what do you think he would do in those 11 games? Six and five versus five and six? Um, six and five, four and seven? You know, you, you, you're getting into a little bit more there. Do you really think he's going to be, you know, seven and four, eight and three? I do not. And I think unless you get to eight and three... If we're talking about bringing him in at the salaries of 25 or... What, what, what's his salary this year? Um, where's Garoppolo? Let's take a look. Jimmy G. Uh, 24-2. So let's call... Um, 25. He's got per gamers in there. Let's call it 25. Unless you get to eight and three, that twenty-five million in cap room is more valuable next year when you're going to have Watson more healthy and have those couple of games under his belt to where he's kind of getting back into the the flow of the NFL, and you know to where you you've got some draft picks or free agency or free agent dollars. Uh, to where you can probably bring in some other wide receivers besides, you know, Amari Cooper, uh, who could get cut, you know, and that, that would open up probably $20 million in cap space. Um, you know, I, I would think that the, the having 40-plus to carry over is more valuable unless you can guarantee me you're going to be 8-3 and three with Garoppolo. And my opinion of Garoppolo is you would not be over that um, if that's the case. As for their long term, you know, again, getting into it, um, you know, I, I think I would look at them and I would say, first of all, you can restructure Watson, create a ton of money. Uh, he's got a 46 P5. So, I mean, just ballpark on that. I mean, you can create yourself uh, 32 million, more than that. You can create yourself like 35 in cap space with that. Um, you can cut Amari Cooper. Uh, that would open up. Oh wait, they they restructured his deal. Oh, I forgot about that. God, that was stupid. Um, you know, they they can open up like nine million with him. He he might be a. They might look at him a wide receiver too by next year. Um, you know, but they can open up some stuff there. So I don't look at them as a pin a, in a pinch with their salary cap because now that this Watson thing is over. You'll see them convert all that money to a bonus money. So they're going to, ideally, you carry over your 42, 43, 44, 45 million to next year. You convert all of Watson's money next year to a signing bonus. So if he's got a 46 um, P5, you know, you're going to convert, uh, convert 44 of that. Um you know, and even if you don't add a void year to it, I mean, that creates 35 million. So you're talking about 45, 46 million in cap room um, without touching anybody else. Uh, you know, you, you can create some room with Miles Garrett. Um, 
Batonio you can create a little bit, Nick Chubb, you can create some space if you wanted to. I don't know if that's a good idea. Probably not. Um, so I, I think they're in an okay spot, and I, I think that they're probably better off having Watson on the team this year, even though his number will be higher next year. You know, because by the time they restructure it, that number will be a lot lower. So I, I think this is the the best situation for them. Because it, even if they end up going back and looking at this and saying that it's the Watson suspension that cost them the playoffs, at least they'll have a couple of weeks to get him back in the swing of things and start getting him some, uh, you know, some snaps and some work to where, you know, he comes back next year. And at least there's a little bit more football under his belt. All right. Uh, Brian says, do you think that J.C. Treader's continued free agency is because of his executive position within the Players Union following a contentious CBA? Feels weird that a top player at his position has yet to find a home with only one more weekend of preseason games to go. Um, so... This is kind of a yes and no answer. I do think any players who are very active, you know, like Kevin Mawai used to be, I think uh, any players who are very active in union activities, I think it limits their market. Um, I'm not going to say that it completely eliminates it, but I do believe that it limits their market. And I can never say if, you know, if a player doesn't want to play for a couple of bucks here and there, um, you know, is that on the teams or is that on him? Uh, you know, it, it's not like Treader is, uh, you know, 23 or 24 years old. So I can't say that. Uh, the other thing is, if you look at the way teams are treating preseason, um, it's basically just rest everybody. I mean, if you're a veteran player, you're not going to play those guys anyway. So quite frankly, you probably wouldn't sign them until after the last preseason game of the year. Um, so I, I, I can't say yet, but it, it definitely does limit, I think, your market potential. Um, you know, I, I think the teams kind of look at this and say, you know, could it be more of a pain than it's worth? Who knows? Uh, but by the time the regular season rolls around, it's a little bit different because the Regular season rules have been relatively unchanged, so you don't worry about it as much from a perspective of, you know, is somebody going to complain about something we're doing in the preseason? Is someone going to be a locker room lawyer? Is someone going to do this, that, and the other thing? Season rolls around. It's like, eh, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll do what we do and uh, work through there. But, um, you know, I it, it is probably part of it. I, I don't think it was a very... Con I, I don't think it was a contentious CBA, but I do think it's part of it. I think if you look at a lot of union leadership positions, I, I think that uh, <coughs> certain owners have been kind of negative on those players. And quite frankly, he plays a pretty replaceable position. It, it's a position that half the league thinks is worth, you know, $10 million or so a year, and half the league thinks is worth you know, $700,000 a year. So I think that also plays a uh, fact into it. Nobody says, how could the NFL financially uh, punish the Browns the most um, for Watson? 
How much would you pay Kevin King? Well, Kevin King, not much. Um, you know, he's he's someone that is still trying to you know live up. Um, I would guess to uh, you know his status there. Um, let me see what he's playing at right now. I would guess a couple, um, which is probably fair. Let's uh, let's pull his contract up. You know he's pay, uh, playing for five, so I I think that's a fair number for him. Um, you know, as for the NFL with the Browns, I think that was just uh, you know a PR thing with them. To me, the the Texans are more culpable than the Browns in any of this. Uh, but I think the the Browns, from a PR perspective, just have you know it's been foot and mouth for months and months and months. And they're the current team, so you, you pretty much have to give them something. Matthew says, do you think the NFL will get rid of the void year loophole? No, I don't think so. I, I think that it's uh, it's fine. Um, a lot of teams utilize it. So it, it's been around forever. So I, I don't think that this is going to be one of those things they get rid of. I think... I don't know how you outlaw it. Um, I think the thing that teams will look at right now are the Eagles' attempt to basically um, go around the June 1 designation rules to where you're crafting contracts that are designed to be June 1 releases. The Browns have gotten into this too. Um I think that's what the league will look at. And I, I don't know how they can kind of get around it. Um, but the Eagles were pretty creative with it. So I, I think I think that would be more the area that they would look at versus the void years. Because the void years are always going to kind of be a problem for a lot of these teams. Um, with the exception of the first year of the new television deals. For the teams that are just dumping money into that year, which is probably going to be 2024, uh, you know, everyone's going to look at that and go, oh, see, everything, everything was fine because the cap went up by so much. After that, it's probably going to stabilize. And the teams that go overboard with those void years, you know, it, it's going to hurt them in, uh, in terms of being competitive. Uh, AWL, Sabermetrics, what do you think will be or should be the next trend in contracts, especially when the cap jumps the next two years, either from the player or front office side? So the players are just going to look for more money, and teams are going to fight back on that. Uh, I think you've already seen the teams planning for this. They're, they're dumping a bunch of dead money via void years and contract structures into 2024 to where they're going to cry poverty uh, when those numbers come up. Uh, to where players are going to say, hey, look, the, the cap just jumped like $40 million. And they're going to say, well, maybe that's true, but we don't have the cap space this year. You know, we, we had to take all this uh, money from the COVID seasons and dump it into 2024. Um, I think that's one of the things that you're going to see. Um, you know, in, in terms of trends on contracts that are signed... You know, I, I'm not sure. Um, 
you know, a- agents. I don't feel like most agents. This is not all. Um, I don't think most are very creative with it. I think they just kind of go with the flow. And there's some that are just going to think that, well, the cap rose X, so every player's salary should rise X. That ain't going to happen. Um, you know, basically, it's going to be like your superstars are going to rise Y. They're going to rise even more. Um, but your mid-level guys are probably not going to rise any different than they are uh, under the current system. Um you know, I, I my guess is if you're a team, you know, just to just to make the guys who are the the power broker agents in the NFL happy, you're probably going to do a bunch of deals that have a lot of money on the back end. Um, you know, and you'll my guess is you'll see a little difference in terms of uh, the structure on the deals. Um, there will probably be a little bit more front-loading of cap hits, similar to the old CBA, where you had teams like the Raiders going cash to cap. Um, I think you'll see a little bit more of that, or a little bit more that will be close to that, simply so teams can utilize cap space on a handful of players. And again, keep for the most part those guarantees to two years, and then be able to cut the players. Uh, let's see. Near Ray here says, um, how does an Alvin Kamara suspension in 2023 affect his guarantee uh, versus suspension this year? He still has four years left in his contract. Cap is 16 plus. Um, I don't think anything. His a, Any kind of suspension um, would impact evenly no matter when. Let me see what his guarantees are. Let me pull up Kamara. You know, his, his he's going to be fighting the position and father time versus any worry about guarantees. I'm sure his guarantees have uh, run out. Um, all right. I think my computer is getting the best of me here. You know, he took a funny money year in his deal. Um, all right. So, oh, that's, that number is wrong. Jesus. Um, let's just, I need to change this, uh, 11, five. So I do need to change his number here. So once he's suspended, um, once that officially kicks in this year, he'll lose his guarantee on his salary next year, but you know, he's got, uh, 10, 12, 14 dead to cut. I mean, he's probably okay, even though he loses that five guarantee, one full for injury. Um, you know, he'll lose that. So it doesn't really matter when he's suspended. I mean, that that's going to kick in no matter what. Um, I would say most likely the Saints will look to bring his salary down next year and, uh, you know, maybe use that a little bit against him. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a contract that was designed to basically bridge a couple of years without having to use a franchise tag and then going from there. Uh, shoes. 
purely on the football side, would the Browns have been better off with a full year suspension uh, suspension for Watson? And when do you think they will have to extend this contract? Thank you. Um, so going back to before, no, I, I think they're better off with this. I, I don't think the full year would have done them any good. Obviously, they, they would have rather have the six than this. But I, I think this... Um, this keeps everything moving. It, it'll get them happy. And the, again, at the very least, it gets him reps with the team this year. So he's uh, ready to go in 2023. Um, in terms of an extension, it's a five-year deal right now. So after four years, he's going to look for more money. Maybe even after three if salaries go up that high. But right now, I, I just don't see enough good young talent for that to happen. So uh, I would guess four years from now, he's looking for a new contract. All right, let's see. Last couple questions here. Eddie, your favorite Pop-Tart. I don't eat Pop-Tarts, so I don't have a favorite one. Sorry. Uh, JLW, why does Google hide OTC searches and push that other website? At times, I have to go to team pages to find certain players. Um, I don't know. Google has its own algorithms. Uh, I think part of it has to do with the age of the websites. So... Unfortunately, uh, Spotrack, I don't know when Spotrack started. Spotrack, I think it's how you say it. Um, I don't know when they started. The Jets cap that I did predated that, and there's other people who have predated Jets cap, but I think Jets cap was the most unique in the terms of the design. So the Jets cap would have been the... Um, the Jets cap would have been the front runner for Spotrack's design. And clearly they, they'll, they'll look, they'll, 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 Mike will tell you that, Janetti. Uh, you know, they, they used to take stuff all the time from what we did at JetsCap, just like they, they do at OTC. It's just a very different thing because, the in my mind, the two are the same, whereas JetsCap was not. That was an AFC East limited site. But anyway, um, you know, a lot of what Google does, I, I think, has to do with the age of the websites, and, you know, th there's other things that come into play and, you know, we don't um, devote as much time. Uh, look, we all have other jobs. Uh, Spotrack does not. Maybe if I did four sports, I wouldn't either. But uh, as a, a football website, I have another job. Nick does plenty of other stuff. Troy, who helps out, does plenty of other stuff. We do a lot of other things. So, you know, it, this is not, uh, I love the NFL. I love the NFL salary cap stuff. I love talking about it. I love doing this podcast stuff. Um, you know, all these things are all well and good. It's not my main stuff that I do in life. Uh, it's not the main stuff anybody does. And maybe we could devote more time to it and make it that way. But I don't know how smart that would be necessarily to do. Um, so I, I think that's one of the reasons why we do not get featured on the top. I think the other thing is most of our stuff is focused on salary cap. I think if you look at salary cap stuff, we get pushed over Google versus contracts where Spotrack does. And again, the reason for that is kind of the concept of the salary cap, even though the NBA is a thing with it and, uh, you know, MLB is more luxury tax, 
hockey probably doesn't have as many people that look at it. Um, you know, obviously the other sports don't. Um, you know, salary cap is very NFL specific. So a lot of this stuff that pertains to OTC is going to pertain to quote unquote salary cap. I'm going to guess a lot of stuff on Spotrack pertains to contract searches. Um, you know, but some of it has to do with the age of the site. Other thing has to do with um, how many times things are cited. It's probably pretty even. Um, I don't really track that. I, I'm going to guess we get cited maybe a little bit more. But again, a lot of stuff that gets cited, if it doesn't have a link to it, it it's not you know necessarily going to count towards anything for Google. And... Um, you know, the, the citing of stuff, it, it's very dependent on the site. You know, you just kind of choose one or the other. And unfortunately, and I, I say this, I, I go back to when I launched the site. Um, the person who runs Spotrack knew of the work that we did when we did the AFC site. And they knew it was good. They knew it was legitimate. So... When we launched in 2013, my thought, naively, was that, okay, you know what? We'll be 95% accurate. They're probably 60% accurate. And I did not expect in the first two weeks of being out there that they would just come in and copy everything we did. And because the stuff got all copied, um, it made their numbers more legitimate. Look, if, if you go to any team in the NFL and you ask their cap guys, eh, who do you look at? You know, or a GM that's in, into that side of it. You know, what site should I look at to, uh, you know, get an idea of salary cap stuff or ask questions? I can guarantee you 85% of them are going to say OTC. But that doesn't drive Google. And uh, when their numbers became closer to accurate to where, you know, when, when the real numbers would come out or someone would publish a number from an NFL source or something like that, um, their numbers were within the same ballpark. It's like, eh, okay, I'll just use that. And uh, I, I think that's, that's probably what's negative on it. Because, look, quite frankly, and I get this, if you are a, uh, not a blog that's specific to the NFL, but if you are an overall sports thing, if you're a radio station or something like that, where you're talking about the NFL, you're talking about the NBA, you're talking about Major League Baseball, I can go to OTC and... I can talk about football or I can go to spot track and I can talk about all three sports. I get why um, they would utilize that resource over us. Um, now, when we get to the points of the season where less stuff is copied, I can guarantee you we're far more accurate. Um, you know, but at this point of the year, they will, you know, go in there and pull anything and everything that we do with zero you know zero attribution to that kind of stuff so i i think that's why but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the the age of the website and the fact that you know if, if both sites had come out at the same time 
um, you know, just going back to that, I, I think if both had come out at the same time, um, you know, where you wouldn't have had one copying the other, it would have been very easy to figure out which one was a little bit more legitimate, which one had a lot more sources within the league, which one was taken a lot more seriously within the league, and you would have gone with that one over the other one. But otherwise, you know, it splits the NFL stuff, and uh, when it comes to the Google things, I, I think when it is not salary cap related or probably very specific to position oriented i think the google search probably skews to them on the search of contract um versus uh some of the other phrases that would get used uh zach how soon can the panthers get out of the christian mccaffrey deal God, that's a terrible contract. Uh, let's take a look. You know, th it's a funny one. Th this is one where, you know, people get on me. Well, he's so good. It's like he never plays. You know, and he'll, he'll go and have a couple good games this year. See, I told you. Never plays. Um, so next year, let's see. The cost of releasing him is eighteen. Four, probably 2024 um, you know doesn't have to do with guarantees I mean technically they can get out of it before that so if they if they were to um, completely start over you know fire the uh, the head coach and fire the GM um, you know if they don't you know, if, if you don't fire the GM, um, it's a little bit different. Um, but, you know, if, if you're firing everybody, there's a chance that someone will come in there and just be like, all right, this sucks. And, you know, just blow it up and be like, all right, we'll take the 18 dead. This guy's always hurt, um, you know, and just get out of it. But if one of the two, well, if... If the coach is back, the GM is definitely back. But uh, I'm going to say if one of the two is back, you will probably keep McCaffrey next year, and 2024 would be the year. Gary says, is wide receiver going to be the next position to go the way running back with teams uh, not wanting to sign guys to higher-end deals? No, 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 no. So there's a difference between the two. I think right now what we're seeing, I think is that teams that have high-priced quarterbacks are looking at the quarterback and saying, look, our quarterbacks are making these wide receivers. Um, Aaron Rodgers makes Devontae Adams. And it's not to disparage Devontae Adams. It's just that I, I think teams look at this and go, Aaron Rodgers makes Devontae Adams. Patrick Mahomes makes Tyreek Hill. Like, they make them as valuable as they are. Those guys are valuable on their own, but they're ultra-valuable simply because of the quarterback. Um, you know, I think in San Francisco, they probably look at George Kittle and say, well, George Kittle's more um, valuable than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, the, that receiver, that, that type of receiver, has more of an impact on Garoppolo than Garoppolo has on him. 
But I think what we're going to see is that teams with rookie contract quarterbacks are willing to pay up for wide receivers, whereas teams with veteran quarterbacks who are actually good, you know, Josh Allen, um, now Bills obviously do have high-priced receivers, but Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, those types of players, um, you know, even a Dak Prescott, that those front offices are going to look at it and go, our quarterback is going to make those receivers stand out and we can find more reasonable prices, uh, more reasonable price points to work out with quarterback than uh, than that, uh, at wide receiver, than, uh, you know, guys looking to make $25 million a year. Um, let's see. Uh, Matt, who does apologize for the grammar, don't worry, I say many things and type many things that are crazy. What kind of extension do you think um, the Jets are looking at with George Fant? That's interesting. So it looks like, which surprises me, um, the Jets are going to move Fant back to right tackle. I don't get that. Fant has played Better on the left side, you know, for New York. Uh, I understand why Dwayne Brown wants to play the left side. I get that's where he's played most of his career. Um, To me, George Fant has proven in his time with the Jets, he's a better left tackle than a right tackle. I I don't understand really why they're going to switch the two. Um... George Fant is not going to be a great right tackle. And nobody is going to look at him as a great right tackle. And I think that changes. I don't think that that, that's a reason for why the Jets are making this move. I don't believe it's contract related. There are times where there are moves that are contract related. I don't think this is one of them. But if you are a, you know, average-ish right tackle... You know, you're probably making about $9 million a year. If you are an average-ish left tackle, uh, you're probably making about $17 million, $17 million a year. So, you know, to me, this is a situation where if they look at him as a right tackle... You know, maybe they bridge that gap and they offer 13, but I, I don't think they're going to offer that 18 or 19, 17, you know, that that would be there for an average left. And, you know, a right tackle, you know, it's upper echelon right tackles that are $18 million a year. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure um, – where they're going at with him. I think that this move to the right side hurts him. You know, if he's a younger player, it's probably a little different. You know, if he was a, um, you know, second round pick who's 26 years old, it's, ah, well, whatever. You know, left side, he probably would have earned 20. Right side, he's probably going to earn 19. And, you know, away you go. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it'll be a bit different there. So, um you know, I, I don't I don't think it's in terms of negotiating with the Jets, I don't think this is a good move for him. Uh in terms of free agency overall, 
He's got to play well on the right side to solidify his value in free agency. Because in free agency, he's going to sell himself as a left tackle and try to get to that 17. But he's got to make sure he's got a good year. Because if he has a crappy year because he's not a good right tackle, it's very hard to make that case. Well, yeah, I, I should have been on the left side. Like most teams, I don't I don't think look at it that way. Um, so, yeah. Justin, two quick ones. Do you think teams will shy away from uh, Mulligan contra- uh, clients, given everything that Watson? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, athletes first. They represent a lot of people. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I've been on board before saying that Watson, there were a lot of teams that were going to be interested in Watson. They would have gone through this, a lot of the same stuff. They just wouldn't have done the same contract. So, no, I, I don't. I don't see that being an issue. The only time that agents become a problem uh, for teams really is when you get into these situations of holdouts and a lot of times unwarranted holdouts. Those those agents are looked at as a problem. Um, but the majority of agents, you know, it, it's not a big deal. Uh, why are people praising Ryan Pauls for standing his ground when Roquan Smith has zero leverage? Everyone knew he had a report before the season. Um, I didn't really see anyone now. Maybe I, I missed some stuff from today, but I didn't really see anyone going crazy for, you know, good job, Ryan Poles, for not doing an extension. I, I would have said it was probably uh, the opposite. Um, but no, I, I don't think there is a, uh, a benefit to, you know, standing your ground on the contract on his side either. Um, you know, I think it's a smart move that you don't, you know, pay up crazy. But, uh, yeah, I think this is just par for the course. Colin, what are your thoughts on visualizing contract data? Do you use any uh, bar, pie, or line charts when looking at rosters? Some more helpful than others. Uh, not really. I mean, um, you know, I'll, I'll look at position data maybe with stuff like that. But it's more stuff that I'll just throw on Twitter just because I know people like graphs. Uh, I like to work with numbers. I like to work with tables more so. Uh, I like to work with uh, stuff that I'll work in a data set and try to do some types of analysis on. Uh, in terms of visualization, um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I mean, probably the better visualizations, which we don't do, Spotrack might. Um, you know, you do like bubble like a bubble chart for like a uh, like a depth chart kind of thing where you're you're showing how much is um, valued at each position and I, I don't really even know if there's a lot of value in doing that just maybe that's a cool graph um, I used to make graphs that would show like uh, weekly breakdowns of teams where you could show like team A versus team B offense defense uh, defense offense. But a lot of people didn't seem interested in that, so I didn't really go with that too much. Um, you know, Nick makes the pie charts that uh, that look at certain types of spending. You know, those can be kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think most of the stuff is more... It's more the numbers that you get into. The other stuff is more just what is... What's more easily digestible from the people on Twitter, uh, which is really where I do most of the interaction, 
Um, what's more digestible through that um, than anything else? Captain Buccaneer. Why would any NFL player not have an agent? Well, you know, if you are a very high-level player and you are dealing with a team that's willing to usually do contract extensions, um, teams that would fall into that realm, um, let's see, you know, let's just look at the teams right now. And I could be wrong on this, but I, I think the teams that would be easier to deal with as a front office, Dallas, Arizona, eh, probably not Miami, maybe Green Bay, maybe the Chargers for this little period of time, not normally. Seattle, I think Tampa. Um, Pittsburgh. Rams. Eagles. That's probably it. Those teams. If you're doing extensions with those teams... And you're a star player. You're a really high-level player. I think those teams will do deals with you. Um, so if you're lo looking to save a couple bucks or you want to have the challenge of doing a deal yourself, I think you will get a fair shake from those teams without a problem. Um, so I, I think that's the main reason why you would not have an agent um, would be for doing stuff like that. And... To be honest, the agent stuff where we talk about this stuff in the offseason, it's more about a PR campaign than anything else that, you know, you, you get that benefit from the agent. You know, when you are a super high-level player, um, there are benefits you can get. It's not like you can't get benefits. You know, there, there are things that smart people know um, that they can do for you. But there are also agencies that do a lot of contracts that don't get those same things for you um but if you are a star player i mean you can kind of punch your own ticket a lot of times um but it's got to be sometimes with the right organization so i would look at those organizations and say those are the teams i can probably deal with representing myself versus you know some of these other situations uh, Brian, uh, it seems like Dwayne Brown contract with backloaded money for Joe Douglas is a different structure than what he normally does. I know there are some teams that do this more commonly, but what do you see? Uh, but what do you see as the norm, and what situations do you think this would be worth doing it? So, um, so what Brian is getting at here is the the Jets used void years in Dwayne Brown's contract, which is not something they really have ever done um i think fitzpatrick was the last one for them to do that with that was 2016 oh and certainly joe douglas they haven't done it at all 
So they threw three void years in this deal. Um, it's not really a backloaded contract. It's $10 million this year, $10 million next year. So it's not backloaded in the sense the cash is backloaded. It's backloaded in terms of the cap stuff because of those void years. Um, I look at this as a one-off. I, I look at this as a... Um, I look at this as the Jets, you know, the the team looking at this and saying, okay, we've got about $8 million in cap space. And we know once that roster expands to 53, we're immediately going to lose, you know, $2 million probably for practice squad, another million, um, more than that, another like one and a half for... Or, um, you know, expansion to 53. So, you know, now we're down from 8 to 4.5-ish or so. We're going to have a couple guys on IR. We might be down to 3. Now we got to deal with only having $3 million for the rest of the season. Um, you know, and we've got to bring in Brown. How do we make this work? And I think they looked at this and said, all right, the only way to make this work is to just do a deal with void years. Now, they could have restructured anybody's contract on the team and probably gotten the same impact without having to utilize the void years in here. But I'm just going to guess that this was probably easier to do. It was just, let's do this one up front. Let's not, you know, if this one doesn't work out, we can chalk this up as being like a 37 or 38. I don't know. How old is he? 37, 38, 36. You know, year-old offensive lineman we, we screwed up on. I think that probably looks a little bit better than if Carl Lawson goes out there and plays like five games and tears an ACL again. Or Corey Davis goes out there and just sucks and you deferred a bunch of money to 2023. So I, I kind of think that this was probably the best way for them to do this in terms of uh, doing anything for their own future and, you know, doing anything for the team. So I think that's probably what, what played a role. I don't think this is going to be the norm for them going forward. Uh, Douglas's roots do, while they do come through Philadelphia, where this was the thing, I feel like his roots are far stronger in Baltimore. And I think if you look at the moves he's done and the way he's tried to build the team, this is much more Baltimore Ravens than Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's something with Philadelphia that uh, that factors in there, but it seems like the core beliefs, the, the core um, tenets of his are more Baltimore and that's not going to be utilizing all these void years and stuff like that. So I don't think that's a thing for him. And also the, the guy who runs their cap is, you know, coming more from a management council background. So I, I think this kind of stuff is more back burner. So I don't think this is going to be a uh, thing. 
Uh, Michael says, salary cap-wise, is Watson being available for a few games this year worse than if he had been suspended the entire season? No, I don't think so. You know, the only way it ends up worse is, and you can't say this right now, um, the only way this ends up worse is if the Browns are, you know, two and nine when he comes back. Three and eight, you know, something like that. And... You know, that that would be a major negative for the front office, right? You know, they they traded away Mayfield. They um, you know, clearly clearly had to have a, a feeling that um Brissett was gonna be their quarterback for probably around half the year. So if they go in there with Brissett and Brissett's only like a two or three win quarterback, that's a failure on the front office. And I, I think they would look at it as such. So yeah, I, I think that they they're they're better off um, having the contract work the, I don't know, the, the way that it does. Uh, last question from Matt. How do players get paid in the preseason? Is it per week? How would the regular season be different if teams practiced against each other the week before the games? Uh, so the regular season wouldn't be any different. Um, they get paid, I think, a per day during camp. I'd have to look that up. Uh, I don't really pay enough attention to it because it doesn't impact the cap, so I don't really care. Um, CBA specifies how much money, but I, I think it's per day. They get a per diem, but it doesn't have anything to do with these these practices that they have and uh, everything else. All right, so I think that is it for me. So uh, I'm going to call this one a night. So hopefully uh, you guys all will have a good week this week. I don't know if I'm going to be back next week. We are going to take the kids away for a couple of days to uh, one of the water parks in the Poconos. So for some reason, anyone who's going to be at uh, one of those water parks, let me know. Um, but we're going to go there for the uh, basically for the weekend, a couple of days, uh, a couple of days there. I think Thursday through Sunday. So we'll get home early on Sunday, I think, unless they want to go to the water park that day. Um, we shouldn't be home too late, so maybe I'll try to sneak on. Uh, but if I don't get a chance that day or on Monday, then I'll be back next week. Um, I know final cutdowns will be coming soon. It's going to be crazy busy. Uh, Troy will take care of the AFC South. He's great with it, so he'll get those done right away. I'll probably be struggling <laughs> through with the other teams. So just bear with me uh, as we get through cutdowns. Um you know, we'll get through one cut down this week, one cut down, uh, final cut down, I guess, the following week. So just bear with me as I get through all that stuff. And uh, we'll get the rosters up to date eventually, and then we'll start to get everything updated. And for those asking about carryover numbers, we will get the carryover numbers to 2023 once the regular season begins. I can't believe regular season's almost here. Don't have a lot of excitement to it. Hoping Wilson is healthy and we uh, play really well, but... We'll see. So anyway, everybody have a great week and I will talk to you all again soon.